This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our podcast, Eyes on Asia, where we'll be looking each week at some of the key stories in the region as covered by RFA. I'm joined by Paul Eckard, who heads up RFA's English service. How are you doing, Paul? Pretty good, thanks. You're nursing a bit of a cold, I think. Yeah, a bit of the sniffles with these low temperatures we've had lately. Okay. Well, I hope you feel better soon. So, this week, democracy has been under assault. And not just in Washington, D.C., with the jaw-dropping sight of the United States Capitol coming under siege. While it's been hard to draw our attention away from those events, RFA has remained focused on what's happening about 8,000 miles to the east in Asia. Later on, I'll be speaking to Yang Win of our Vietnamese service about lengthy prison sentences imposed this week on three independent Vietnamese journalists in a closed-door, quick-hit trial in Ho Chi Minh City. But first, over to you, Paul. I understand you're looking at Hong Kong, where the Beijing-imposed national security law really looks like it's beginning to bite into the city's freedom and autonomy. Yes, indeed. Some hours before the action in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, a thousand national security police officers in Hong Kong arrested 53 people who were involved in organizing a primary election last summer. They were charged under the national security law that China imposed on Hong Kong in mid-2020. Okay, this is the biggest round of arrests yet, I think. Yes, it is. And it caught some people by surprise. Okay, so who are you speaking to about that? Well, RFA Cantonese service reporter Carmen Wu was born and raised in Hong Kong and was just a primary school student when Hong Kong was handed back to China in 1997 after more than a century as a British colony. Carmen has been a reporter since 2010 and a resident of the United States for these last three years. She made a brief trip to Hong Kong in July 2019, and she now fears that it may be her final trip to the city for a while because the national security law is most likely to be targeting journalists next. Okay, take it away. You're going to speak to Carmen. Carmen, thank you for helping us today. Tell us how it feels personally to see these dramatic and I guess, unwelcome changes in your hometown. I was pretty emotional last year. I feel very sad and frustrated, of course. I would say the people in Hong Kong are freedom-loving people. After a century of colonial rule by the British, Hong Kong has become a very international city. But now things is like... Everything's go back to a century ago, and this the speed of this reverse is accelerating. So, so frustrated and worried. My feeling is pretty complicated, actually. I understand that. Mm. Now, we've in, in six months, we've seen a, a lot happen. And this week, of course, more than 50 prominent democracy figures, including law professors and uh, mm. candidates, were all arrested in one fell swoop. Did that surprise you, happening the way it did and so suddenly? I'm not surprising that they are targeting at those people. Or maybe those people, they are already psychologically prepared. I'm pretty sure they, they know that the government is targeting at them. But I am shocked by the scale. They deploy a thousand police officers in just one day to arrest so many people, including one U.S. citizen. It was just an ordinary day in Hong Kong. Nothing happened. It's a peaceful day. They need so many policemen on the street. So I was very shocked by 
the speed and the scale. Actually. I see. Given that you were a journalist who were and you grew up and were educated in Hong Kong and mm -hmm. raised in Hong Kong, do you have any personal friendships or ties to any of the people who've been caught in the net? Personally, I am not their friends, but of course, during interviews, work, I've met them. Most of them, I've met them. Mm. I would say those people, they are very friendly. <laughs> in Cantonese, we always say that they are friends of media. They are ah. very friendly people. They are, they are brave. They are knowledgeable. And they love Hong Kong. And they, are for, they fight for freedom. They fight for democracy against the Chinese Communist Party. They protect Hong Kong from the Communist Party for maybe more than a decade or even several decades. So I totally respect them so much. I'm wondering uh, now, we have to wonder what comes next. Mm -hmm. And after these arrests, is anybody in that democratic movement mm -hmm. safe? Oh, definitely no one is safe. You can see right now, people from every levels of the society, from lawyers, professors, to just a very normal, common students, teenagers on the street, all of them can be arrested under the new national security law. If you are pro-democracy, you may be under the radar. I would say even though the Hong Kong people in the pro-Beijing camps, they, they are not safe as well because they are Hong Kong people. You can tell this because of maybe you have heard a new party called Bohemia Party. Yes. Was just set up last year. Mm -hmm. They This party consists of the mainlanders who relocated to Hong Kong. This tells you that the Beijing government never trust any of the Hong Kong people. So I would say, of course, their first target are the pro-democratic camp, but doesn't mean that the pro-Beijing camps in Hong Kong, they are safe. Do you uh, have any sense of who might be the next target of these crackdowns? Maybe the media, maybe the people who have taken part in international lobbying. I would say no one can expect, no one has the magic what to know what the Hong Kong government is going to do next. Well, mm -hmm. as you know, Hong Kong was an island of free media in China. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's already been trouble uh, and pressure on media outlets in Hong Kong mm -hmm. to hand over the reports True. on some of the arrests. Uh, right. Are you worried about the status of the media and the position mm -hmm. of the media in Hong Kong going forward? Definitely. I feel so worried. I would say maybe in the foreseeable future, there's still in the media, there, there may be still a struggle between whether or not to insisting the current standard to take more to the pro-China standard. I would say in Hong Kong, journalists are well-educated and they definitely have the ability to earn more money, but the journalists in Hong Kong, they receive a very comparatively low salary. Why keeps them working as a journalist in Hong Kong? It's the freedom of speech. It's the freedom of information. Is the freedom to serve the people in Hong Kong because people in Hong Kong, they believe that people have the right to know if this mission is taken away, the government tells you that, okay, 
every journalist in Hong Kong, you no longer have the rights to to report freely. Will there still be a journalist working with a such low salary to do something that they, they doesn't like anymore? I can see a lot of journalists in Hong Kong may quit their job, just like what the China desk in iCable TV did. They just resigned because they don't agree with the direction of the media anymore. The, so the good journalists will resign. Bad journalists, maybe they, they are controlled by the Beijing government. They will then go into the media and control the media. And then eventually, the media industry in Hong Kong became just the same. No difference from CCTV of China. In, indeed, I, I lived in, mm. on, in Beijing and, and watched CCTV from time to time. Speaking not as a journalist, but as a lifelong Hong Konger, as you watched from the handover in 1997 until now, have things turned out worse than you expected? Or did in the back of your mind, were you always worried that a day like this would come to Hong Kong? I didn't expect this change come so fast. Back in 1997, when I was still a primary school student, my teacher kept telling me that, oh, 50 years unchanged. This is what China promised us. One country, two system, at least last for 50 years. But now it's only like 30 years, I would say, out of everyone's expectation. And that's why, you, Paul, you see me now in the United States. Because things really changed too fast, especially after President Xi Jinping. Sure. So mm-hmm. you, you've, you've made a choice and a career choice and a personal choice to move out of Hong Kong. What are your friends back in Hong Kong doing to get ready for the new future that they face? Mm. Most of them, as I said, like like the journalists, they choose jobs they like to do, maybe not related to politics. They try to keep away, keep a distance from politics and earn as much money as they can. And then let their kids to go to the international school. And then maybe one day their kids, their next generation, can move out of Hong Kong. They all of my friends put their hopes onto their children. I see. That is very sad for Hong Kong people. They was like, I cannot move out, but I hope my next generation they can. They can one day get rid get rid of the Communist Party. That is eye-opening and sad, Carmen. And thank you for sharing both your professional and your personal views on Hong Kong. Thank you so much for having me today. Over to you, Matt. Thanks a lot, Paul. Now we turn to Vietnam, where a court in Ho Chi Minh City on January the 5th held a quick trial for three independent journalists for supposedly disseminating anti-state information. The outcome was harsh and grimly predictable. The three were sentenced to long prison terms. Among their number was Win Dong Thuy, who has been a long-time contributor of blogs to RFA Vietnamese. To talk to me about these developments and tell us a little bit more about Thuy, I'm joined by Yang Nguyen of RFA Vietnamese. Welcome, Yang. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. So first of all, can you tell me a little bit about the three accused men? I understand they were all members of an independent journalist association. Yes, that's right. Um, the three, Pham Ji Yong, Nguyen Tung Thuy, who's the RFA contributor, and Le Hu Tung, they are some of the main members of the Independent Journalist Association of Vietnam. 
Pham Ji Yong is the person who co-founded or founded it and is the president. Uh, Tui is the, uh, was the vice chair and Dong is a, a secretary and a, a member of the editorial team. They founded this organization about uh, seven years ago in 2014 and um, have written articles, um, published articles on a, a page talking about injustices in Vietnam, uh, cases of land grabs, advocating for those who, whose voices haven't been heard. And um, they were all arrested with very harsh sentences, as you mentioned, 15 years for Jung and then 11 years for each three and Dung. So really harsh sentences for just the simple acts of writing um, and expressing their, their, their opinions and, and beliefs. And the association president, Dung, he wrote for VOA, Voice of America Vietnamese right. as well. Yes. Jung wrote for VOA and as well as other blogs and, you know, frequently um, answered interviews about the state of the country um, to foreign media. And uh, same with Thuy. And uh, Thuy also a few years ago came to the U.S. Uh, in, in 2014, visited the U.S. to testify about press freedom in Vietnam. So, you know, they have been very active on advocating for freedom of the press, freedom of expression in Vietnam. So they're quite outspoken in a country where the media is strongly controlled by the communist government. Right. What do we know about the court proceedings uh, against them and the evidence that was used against them in those proceedings? The trial took only six hours. It was supposed to be a public, as they always say, it's supposed to be a public trial, but a lot of members of the families uh, were not able to attend. The wife of Thuy was allowed to attend as a witness, you know, at inside the court. She said he didn't violate any laws. These are all freedoms that are guaranteed under Vietnamese law, under the constitution, and she was proud of her husband and would stand beside him. But she said that the trial has been very intransparent. And again, this was the first time that she saw him since he was arrested in last year. And to your question, the, the court um, cited as evidence that, that they had been uh, writing articles uh, since 2014 um, that, quote unquote, disparaged the reputation, the policies, the laws of, of the state. They cited 25 articles um, that Jung wrote, five articles that Tui wrote, uh, so they cited articles, uh, a number of articles that were written by these men and saying that they uh, worked to libel the state. And they also mentioned that um, these men met with people who were disillusioned or people that uh, that are dissidents, uh, organizations that are dissidents inside and outside of the country. So those are some of the things that were held against these uh, journalists. So what's been the international reaction to these verdicts? Um, international human rights organizations have condemned this uh, widely. Amnesty International responded by saying this verdict is uh, showing that Vietnam has reached new depths in their censorship and also pointed out the failure of the court to adhere to international standards, uh, such as uh, holding the um, defendants in communicado without access to lawyers, etc. And um, countries and uh, governments around the world have spoken up against this verdict. The U.S. Embassy in Hanoi expressed uh, deep concern for this deteriorating trend and urged Vietnam to protect its citizens, uh, especially journalists who are doing such critical work um, in the country. 
um, these independent journalists. And uh, the European Union um, has called for the immediate release of these three uh, journalists. Again, these, these countries, these governments are saying that, you know, reminding Vietnam that they have signed on to international conventions for the freedom of the press, the freedom of expression, um, and they should ad adhere to that. Yeah, I guess it's still doubtful whether this international criticism is going to have much impact on Vietnam because they seem very determined to crack down on on dissent. I mean, why do you think the Vietnamese government has taken such severe measures against this independent journalist association and, and these figures who are who are part of that association? Yeah, as we know, there is a party congress that is happening every five years, uh, happening at the end of this month. And it's a very sensitive time for freedom of speech in Vietnam, at, uh, you know, right beforehand. One human rights organization called it open season on, on activists and uh, dissidents. And it's really a time when the party is cracking down to silence any kind of debate, any kind of dissent. There's also a power struggle or there's different factions. Some analysts say that contributes to this show of force, possibly different factions, different people wanting to show their heart line ahead of this party Congress. The ongoing, you know, in the broader context of what's happening in the world, there is a lack of attention to the human rights situation by other countries. And some have noted that uh, during the past four years of the current uh, U.S. administration, there is a, a lack of uh, attention to human rights and a, a lack of calling out Vietnam for its transgressions and its aggression. The U.S. is sort of a sort of stronger relationship with uh, Vietnam for strategic reasons. So tell me a little bit more about Thuy. I mean, he'd written blogs for RFA for about six years. Can you give us a sense of the sort of things he wrote about and a little bit about the man? Yeah, um, you know, I actually had an uh, opportunity to meet him briefly when he visited Washington, D.C. in 2014 uh, to testify um, about the press freedom situation in Vietnam. And he's a very gentle very kind, gentle, soft-spoken man. He wrote for RFA, as you mentioned, for six years about injustices, uh, you know, always advocating for people that have had their rights taken away, such as aggrieved citizens of land grabs. He advocated for uh, somebody who was sentenced to death and did not get the proper proceedings. Um, so he was always somebody who advocated for the downtrodden, and he, he didn't just write, but he truly cared, and he uh, went out to visit with these aggrieved citizens. He practiced what he what he preached. He was a, a soldier in the Vietnam War. He was a, he was a North Vietnamese soldier. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so he was a pacifist. He didn't. He said he never raised his gun. Yeah, he, he shared this information in a conversation with one of our journalists. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. I mean, he's a man who sought justice for other people. I mean, it seems that justice was definitely not served in his case on January the 5th. What's the prospect of him and his co-defendants appealing their verdicts and winning some kind of reprieve? At this point, it's not clear if they want to appeal, but they have 15 days to ask for an appeal. We we know what they said during the trial, uh, which gives us some kind of insight into their thinking, perhaps. Pham Ti Yung said that this heavy-handed sentence by the courts will let the world know about the true meaning of press freedom in Vietnam. And he uh, suggested that the court 
reviews the documents, the investigations. And the same with Tui, he said that he requests the courts to review the document, taking a closer look at what their true motives are, again, uh, reiterating that these are things that should be allowed under the law. And Tui said, one day the things that I do now will be considered normal. They are standing by what they say and again saying that nothing that they have done is against the law. And in contrast, it is helping the country develop towards a brighter future. So we can only hope that the court reviews this and reduces or vacates their sentence. The uh, Human Rights Watch representative for Asia has told me that it's very rare that the sentences will be uh, overturned on appeal and they might be reduced only if there's significant concessions by the defendants, which uh, we, we don't have in this case. Okay. So what impact do you think that these harsh verdicts will have on uh, other riders, independent riders in Vietnam? The Vietnamese people that are speaking out are fully aware of the risk that they're taking, but they are also very steadfast in their conviction that what they are doing is lawful, is right, and is necessary for Vietnam to move forward. So they are not deterred. And uh, just after the verdict, despite the harsh sentences, the same organization, the um, Independent Journalist Association of Vietnam, you know, they still have dozens of other members and they have come out and reiterated that they will continue to be active in promoting conversations, promoting uh, dialogue and promoting peaceful discussions of ideas to help the country. Okay. Yang, thank you very much for talking us through what's happened to these three independent journalists, brave men, all of them. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That wraps it up for this episode. Thanks, Paul, for that great segment we had earlier with Carmen Wu of RFA Cantonese. Well, thank you, Matt. And I'm afraid we'll probably be hearing more about Hong Kong in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, as I expect we will with more arrests in Vietnam. Anyway, please join us again, listeners, next week. Until then, you can read RFA coverage on our website, which is rfa.org. Or perhaps more easily, you can go to other platforms like Spotify and iTunes. Just search for Eyes on Asia. If you've any feedback or suggestions, please drop us a line or attach an audio message. Our email is eoa at rfa.org. Not VOA, but EOA. It stands for Eyes on Asia. I'm Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia, alongside Paul Eckert. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.